Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Matchbook series on the EBPL podcast. My name is Paul. I'm the adult services librarian here at EBPL. This is the final episode of the fourth season of Matchbook. Thanks for sticking with us through the, all this. And I hope to end on a high note. We've got some good recommendations. So let's get us started. I have a question I've been sitting on for a little while because I didn't really know what to do with it. It's a really interesting one. Somebody asked for books with a good story about how or why they were written. So they give the example of Mary Shelley coming up with the idea for Frankenstein during a ghost story writing contest that she had with other authors when she was just 18 years old. Obviously, that's one of the best examples. So I probably shouldn't have use that one anyway, even if you didn't, because it's a little bit too well known. So I tried to probe and find other ones that maybe weren't as well known, but did meet the criteria in terms of being an interesting backstory. The first one I was able to come up with is Curtain by Agatha Christie. This is the final Hercule Poirot novel and yeah, the last story to ever feature him. It was published in 1975. And the first story featuring Poirot was in 1920. So 55-year career as a detective at the time. Nothing to sneeze at. That's a real good gig he had there. So the reason why this was published in 75, and if you've read it before, it feels very much not of its own time, is that Agatha Christie wrote it at the height of World War II during all of the air raids on England by the Germans and because it was such a harrowing time to live in England at the time and you know there's just fear for her safety or livelihood has no idea what's going on or how long she had to live throughout that she was spurred by that to write but she wanted to be the final Poirot novel and so she wrote it in 1940 but it was not published until 1975 so when she wrote it in 1940, her plan was always not to, you know, if she did survive the war, to not release it until she was at an advanced age, which she did. She released it in 75. She passed away in 76. So the book bears a very close resemblance to a lot of her earlier works. It has a setting at a country house. Lots of characters all gather there for a vacation, but... Someone is murdered and Poirot is on the case. And it takes us back to the setting of her first novel, The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which is published in 1920. So it has this kind of closing a loop quality to it that I'm sure she wanted for the character. But it also gives us a nice touch of coherence throughout the whole series as well. If you've read this before or if you have interest in reading it now, it does come off a little strange. It being published in 75 because when Agatha Christie removed it from, she kept it in a vault all this time and then just decided to release it. And this would be the final Poirot novel. So she didn't update the time period inconsistencies between when it was written, when it was published. So it comes off as quite odd in some ways. References to the World War being, you know, something recent that happened. Car models, clothing styles, world events, none of it really updated in any way so it feels extremely strange in the context of that in the setting time period so it is a little bit of a whirlwind of a novel in that way 
but at the same time, it is an incredibly well done mystery. So twofold, and, and also it being the end of the series featuring Poirot. So it, from so many different ways, it is a very interesting book to read as not just a novel, but an artifact that exists for mystery lovers and for people who have an interest in unearthing that time period. Another book with a good backstory about how it was written is Carrie by Stephen King. At the time Stephen King was writing Carrie, he lived in a trailer with his wife and two children. He was teaching English and trying to get his writing career off the ground, writing in short stories for a local magazine. So he had recently read an article in Life magazine about telekinesis. And for some reason, he connected this to the experiences that he witnessed of two friends of his in high school who had a difficult time adjusting socially to the school atmosphere. And he kind of combined those two ideas to create Carrie as like a social outcast who seeks revenge through telekinesis and through this power that other people don't know that she is capable of having. So obviously, that seems pretty out there. Stephen King had no notoriety. Nobody really knew who he was. He's just trying to get his career off the ground. And he gets a few pages into writing this story, which seems maybe a little bit too out there to get a wider audience. And he throws the whole thing in the garbage. Just is totally off the idea. Doesn't want to do it at all. His wife finds the pages, takes them out, tells him it's very good. He has like the seed of a great idea here. And he reluctantly agrees to finish writing the novel, which it was originally going to be a short story. He expanded it, but he found it to be a waste of time. And he only did it because his wife kept insisting, this is a good idea. You really have something here. The publisher Doubleday agreed to take a flyer on it and just give it a limited circulation. And people really seemed to love it, which was great because the horror genre was really small at the time, burgeoning, and it's not seen to be a moneymaker or in any way. It was still thought to be pulp, garbage, kind of like a waste of time. And it's amazing that this was Stephen King's in, and he'd go on to still have a career now. It's one of our most widely published horror authors and has a 50-year career writing and this was his start. So I think that's amazing and great for him and also great for the genre as well, because he's done so much to legitimize the horror genre in the minds of the American public. So I thought that was a great story for Stephen himself and for helping validate horror as a great genre that is more widely read today. Another book that also fits in this category would be A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. And I wanted to highlight this one because it's now considered a classic in the canon of young adult science fiction. Obviously, it concerns a journey through space and time, through galaxies, trying to rescue one of the characters' fathers. And it's this great war between light and darkness, good and evil. It takes some younger characters and has some very mature themes to the stories, questions of spirituality, purpose, notions of love, divinity, goodness. So it is this really brilliant exploration of those concepts through a science fiction book for a younger audience. 
I feel like it's just so well known. It's just so part of the canon now that maybe people forget what it took the author to go through in order to publish it. Madeline Langle was determined to give up on writing on her 40th birthday, which was in 1958, after receiving yet another rejection for a novel that went unpublished yet again. And this was a common theme to her life and career. By this point, she couldn't find publication anywhere. She tried to publish in science fiction, regular literary fiction, nonfiction, all different genres to all different publishers and still couldn't find one to publish any of her work. So upon realizing several months later that she could not turn off the switch in her brain that wanted to write for a living, she was back at it again and came up with this story for the basis for A Wrinkle in Time. And upon its completion in 1960, she put it out to dozens of publishers who all just rejected by each and every one of them. They said it was too different. They said the themes of good and evil were too mature for the audience she was trying to write to. And some were a little bit more honest with her about exactly why they were denying it and said that it was a science fiction book with a female protagonist, which was so extremely rare that they didn't think they could market it to their audience. So that was a major blow to her because she thought, why does that exactly matter? If the book is good, it will find an audience. That was her thought on that matter. So fast forward a few months and Madeline Langle is throwing a tea party for her mother. I guess that's just what you did at the time. I don't know. So one of the guests happens to know a science fiction publisher and she puts Madeline Langle in touch with this man whose publishing house was not uh, working on a line of books for young adults or children or anything like that. But he loved the idea so much that agreed to publish the work and went on to become obviously one of the best-selling young adult novels of all time. She won a Newbery Medal for it. She got recognition from the American Library Association for outstanding publishing work and just all around glowing reviews. And it harkens back to what she said at the beginning, you know, the female protagonist in science fiction. And it's amazing that she stuck with it through that, didn't try to compromise and say she'll gender swap some of the characters. And I can only imagine that did wonders for science fiction publication moving forward. So I say credit to her, really amazing work. And also credit to her for sticking with the mature themes as well. And realizing children don't want to be talked down to. They want to engage with these broader, maybe more significant themes about goodness and evil and spirituality as well. And they could handle these types of things to talk about in books. Thank you for sending that question. It was really a thorny one that I pondered over a lot and had to really do some digging because I couldn't find some really great examples at first. But when I eventually combed through a whole bunch of material and came up with those, I found it to be very rewarding. And I think that looking into the backstories for all three of those books really makes them shine just a little bit more as, you know, the material on the page pop a little bit more when you get an understanding of how they're conceived, how they were written, how they're published. So thanks again for that. And thank you for listening to us through our fourth season of Matchbook. Just a reminder that EBPL podcast can be listened to at ebpl.org backslash podcast. Thank you to Melissa Hozik for editing this episode. And thank you all for listening. 